This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chefs. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Premier Chels. It was going to be an interesting episode today, but Rahul, calm me down, Connor. He calmed me down in the 90th minute there. And maybe calm me down is not the right word because I got fired up with excitement, but was calm after the result. So how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I Like you said, I obviously, I didn't watch the game, but I've seen the, the result and the highlights and uh, I can certainly see how he calmed you down and also did it in the same instance. <laughs> I think this episode would have a different tone to it if he wasn't there to calm me down as soon as that goal goes in. But let's get into it. We have a lot to talk about today with Crystal Palace. Why don't you take us through the starting 11? Absolutely. So uh, Graham Potter making his Premier League debut with Chelsea, and this was his starting 11. Kepa continued in goal. We know Mendy is still not fit. Uh, we saw a return of the back four, which I don't know. It must have been a few months since we've seen that. Yes, yes. Uh, and that included Reese James, Wesley Fofana starting for the first time under Potter, Tiago Silva, and Ben Chilwell, who came in for uh, Kukurea, who was also not available. Um, Google had it as a 4 2 2 2. I know you saw it a little bit differently, so I'd love to hear your take on it here in a second. But it was Kovacic and Jorginho in midfield. Kai Havertz and Mason Mount as the two behind Aubameyang and Sterling. Uh, but I think you saw it more of as a 4-3-3. Yeah, I saw it as a 4-3-3. And actually, NBC Sports, I believe, puts it a completely different formation, almost like a 4-3-1-1-1, where it's kind of like this hybrid mix of everything. But I think ultimately what we're trying to get at is Graham Potts' teams are quite fluid. They changed formation several times during the game, but ultimately, I think overall, and he's come out and said this a little bit as well, it was a 4-3-3 where we were changing out the formation and allow Mason to play a little bit deeper, but still linking up with the front three and Kai Havertz playing as what we would say is his favorite position, a central attacking midfielder. Obama Yang coming in from his favorite left side and Raheem moving over to the right side. So very interesting formation. Yeah, interesting indeed. And an interesting pick in the sense that uh, the first game was obviously against Salzburg and uh, the likes of Fofana, Ben Chilwell um, did not feature and they come back in and obviously we know um, the reasons for that, especially with the Chilwell piece, but uh, a good opportunity for them to impress and let's jump into the, the first big moment, I guess, from, from the game was the goal that we conceded, uh, which comes from Fofana maybe trying to played out a little too much, maybe hits the first defender unexpectedly, I beg your pardon, first attacker. Uh, and from that point on, we're in transition. We don't have the cover in midfield and uh, Crystal Palace swiftly attack and put in a decent corner again that Kofana loses his man in a sense and, and is able to, uh, isn't able to get back in time and, and Crystal Palace opened the scoring with Edward. Uh, how did you see it? Was this a mistake from all around? Did we actually recover and, and force them out wide, but the ball in was just too good and, and Fofana had switched off and maybe had panicked a little from the initial mistake? You know, I believe in giving credit where credit is due, and I do think that the ball in was absolutely superb. I thought it was a wonderful cross. 
little bit of Reese James whip on it. So it was something where I'm familiar with that. Would love to see that ball coming in for us anytime. But something that's interesting there, Rahul, and maybe it's a discussion point really quickly, is you said Fofana's name five, six, seven times maybe. Do you think he should have picked Kudibali? And I know Fofana is your 70 million pound man. He's one for the future, but you've got maybe a tried and trusted Kudibali there and you could have gone with him to pair with Thiago Silva? I mean, certainly that's the the choice when you look at experience. Uh, but then you look at who has the more Premier League experience, especially mm-hmm. in an away game in the London Derby, and you say, you know what, Fofana has been doing it for Leicester for a few seasons. Kulabali came in, had a decent start, struggled a little bit, and then with the change, um, has just not played yet or started at least for Potter, uh, which does not mean he won. I'm sure he'll get the opportunity like we identified in the last episode. We have nine games this month, so... Uh, Tiago Silva is not going to be playing every single one of right. them and, and there will be rotation. Uh, but hopefully Kulabali is taking this in his stride and is getting hungrier by the game, by the minute, uh, because we do want to see him and what he brings to the squad. And he does have the ability, he has the talent and he has the 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 aggressiveness sometimes that you need uh, in this league. The return question I have for you is, so we have Chalaba, who's known to this squad, has come up as a Chelsea boy. Um, and obviously, I saw a lot of fans asking, why not just play Chalaba if you do want someone faster or someone uh, maybe a little more suited to, uh, you know, playing with Thiago Silva? What would you say in terms of Chalaba, Fofana? Uh, I think you may have already answered it with the value of Fofana, but uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on maybe, maybe a little bit beyond just the valuation. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to ultimately the valuation is where it starts at, and you're going to have to figure out how to fit and keep happy some of these players that have come in for these big numbers. But on the flip side, there is going to be a lot of football, Raul. You've got to keep everybody in tip-top shape. You've got to give them an opportunity. Maybe he sees Kulabali as a direct replacement for Thiago Silva and Chaloba as a direct replacement for uh, Fofana. And so at some point, you may find a partnership that works better. He's doing things in the training ground and saying these two balance each other out while the other two balance each other out. And he's got, if he does play a back four long-term, he now has four really strong center backs and he's forming partnerships where they may be. Now, I can be completely wrong and he may switch it in and out depending on what he sees best. But ultimately, I think there's also the height factor. I think Fofana is quite tall, not to say Chaloba is a short person by any means necessary, but maybe he's trying to balance it out and find the right partnership at this point in time. Yeah, and he can only do that while seeing them in game. Mm-hmm. So um, overall, I mean, I know we're jumping ahead, but did you think Fofana had a decent game, recovered well from that first instance with the conceding of the goal? Uh, and ultimately, did he impress Potter enough to say, you know what, I'll continue giving you a start uh, for the rest of the games? I think he did okay, but we can't ignore the price tag. And unfortunately, that always plays into our minds. For $70 million, what am I getting? But Take away the price tag. He's 21. He only had one full season at Leicester, and he did very, very well. He's just come back from a long injury. I think it's going to take time, but he may be somebody that's really excited, really ready to play, and so he's in Potter's ear. I I don't know what's going on in the background. And so give Potter the time to get these guys in and out on the team. We may see different center backs at AC Milan. I'm not sure, and we're getting two ahead right now. But um, overall, I think he did okay. I think there's a lot more to come from him, and I'm waiting to see what else he can do for us. Yeah, I, I, I am too. And I know it's, uh, it's one game. He's 22, I believe, 21 maybe. 
so he's got a long, long career long ahead way, of him, yeah. and and hopefully it's in this Chelsea blue and and in a team that he can eventually go on to become like a Thiago Silva, where he's just rock solid. If that's the case, that's 18 years left in him. So we've, <laughs> we've got a lot of time with him, which I'm excited for, for sure. But sticking in the back, right? You talked about the goal we conceded. Of course, it was a nice ball. I've covered that. There were a lot of other chances for the Crystal Palace side. And one man in particular that stood out to me was Kepa. I thought he was brilliant. Other than conceding the goal, which I think I think Mendy would have conceded that goal as well. So I'm not going to fault Kepa on that side of the house. What do you think of Kepa? He made some amazing saves in that first half and even in that second half. Yeah, no, he he definitely put in a good shift. Uh, I was impressed with with the saves he made, uh, but I also say those were saves that he should be making. There's sure. uh, maybe one that comes in from the corner that he gets a glove on that really maybe is is a standout one. But some of the other ones, uh, you look at Kepa, and again, it comes back to the the evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also look at Kepa from the last few seasons. Yes, his confidence is back up, uh, which is great. And all those shots were down and not high up, which is where yep. he struggles, which was good. Uh, but I like I'd be interested to see if you know some of those shots were higher, similar to what Connor Gallagher pulls off later in the game. Does a Kepa get to them, which is where we ultimately prefer to go with Mendy? Uh, but I think his distribution, his ability to play out the back, which is what we wanted to do. I mm-hmm. think Tuchel wanted that too. Uh, is definitely better, better than um, much better than Mendy, and it's going to be interesting how Mendy takes this because he knocked Kepa out of the first team, and now Kepa seems to be not not successfully done it, but staking yeah. a claim for it. Yeah, and it's a great problem for say for Graham Potter to come into where you've got two really good goalkeepers that you can select from, and injuries happen. They're going to the World Cup. One may go further in the World Cup and may need to be rested. One may not. I, I don't know. But ultimately, I think the reason I asked that question is the Kepa that failed, I hate to say that word, but failed so miserably under Frank Lampard seems to have gone. And we're now seeing the Kepa that we signed for that world record fee, and he's coming back to his best. He seemed energized. He seemed vocal. He seemed confident to claim balls. And so we have to wait and watch. Maybe he'll be tested with some of these so-called higher shots, and he has to figure out how to jump higher. But, But I think he can do it. And ultimately, let's see what Potter goes with with the next game. I think that's going to be the most interesting question. Yeah, and I I think it's good. It's a good point there to add that he's now only twenty eight, which is for a goalie, it's it's just the beginning of your career yeah. at that age. So uh, he's been here, came in, I believe, in two thousand eighteen, if mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. Uh, so now four years. So he came in as a twenty four year old with the seventy million uh, price tag. He's had his moments, ups and downs. Hopefully this is the start of something good because I'm sure he also wants to go to the World Cup and and start. So, um, we, and for us, I think it's great because we've always said two players for every position competing yeah. at the highest level gets the best out of each other, and we'll hope to see that over the next few weeks. Yeah, even if you get this for the next two or three years, it's going to give me. And I I don't want to say this because Petacek was a legend on his own, but when you had Petacek and Carlo Cudicini fighting for that role, you knew you had two solid goalkeepers and could depend on any of them when called upon. So hopefully this is what we see going forward from Kepa. I'd be interested to see what Graham Fossett does in the next game. So we'll we'll talk about later when we talk about AC Milan. But that first half, what did you make of it? We'll get to the goal in a second here. But personally for me, 
we seemed lively, we seemed energetic, we seemed excited. Mason Mount and Kai Havertz, the two names that I think have been disappointing so far in the opening part of the season, seemed like new players, seemed like different players. They seemed excited to be on the pitch. They seemed like they wanted to be involved. They weren't shying away from maybe passing in the final third, shooting in the final third. That's what I saw. I don't know. What, what do you make of it? No, I agree with you. I think uh, the two of them in particular had a tough start to the season. A lot of fans have jumped on their backs, including myself, saying, you know, they're not performing. There's others in the mm-hmm. squad that deserve a chance, like Pulisic. Um, but in this game, with a little more freedom, with a little more understanding of, of each other's roles, uh, not that they were they were playing in each other's positions, but if Mason was going up, maybe Kai was dropping. And if Mason Kai was going up, Mason was dropping. So it was good to see them just able to work off of each other. And they do have a good relationship. I mean, they mm-hmm. did play in a front three for Tuchel for 18 months or so. So uh, they have a good relationship. Mason provided the assist in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I was happy with what I saw, but I would be excited if I saw a little more end product. And yes, that will come. Um, maybe we're getting a little spoiled with what's happening in Man City. Uh, but I'd like to see Kai Havertz with the freedom that he's now going to be having uh, and maybe with a little less focus of being a center forward with Aubameyang there, with maybe Broja, Bro, uh, Broja playing there. Kai Havertz may flourish and hopefully get some goals, which is ultimately what we'll, we'll uh, judge him on. End product is the right word. I think we need to see more from those two guys. If you're likening them to the partnership of old, which was Frank Lampard and Michael Ballack. I think both those guys, Frank Lampard, we know for years, was absolutely stellar in the midfield. Michael Ballack chipped in with his 8-10 goals from midfield, assist, providing headers, things that we need from somebody who... Kai has a similar structure to Michael Ballack and that height and the way he kind of moves around the pitch. So if he can start chipping in and getting those 8-10-12 goals a season, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But speaking of end product... We really have struggled up front with number nines with end product. But on this day, at this time, our number nine comes good. It was a wonderful finish from Aubameyang, wasn't it? Yeah, great way to get your first Chelsea goal, your first goal for Chelsea in the Premier League. Um, But before we get into that, I have to talk about the man that provides the assist for him. Uh, And I know you have a good uh, story. Maybe Aubameyang did share this too, but... Like I said, I didn't watch the game. I watched the highlights. And when I see Thiago Silva on the left wing winning a header, which <laughs> falls to Aubameyang, and Aubameyang scores a great goal first time on the turn, uh, I'm wondering, I'm like, what happened that led to Thiago Silva just staying up there <laughs> um, and asking, if you see the the, the play, he's asking Reese James to cross it. And um I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because I know you you have a little more insight. Yeah, so I think from what I understand, we had just come off a corner which didn't didn't really work out for us. And so whether Tiago Silva said, look, these guys need to learn to defend without me. I'm not going to run back right away and let them deal with it. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has just the utmost trust in Fofana and Reese James and Ben Chilwell to cover him. And he said, you know, I'll take my sweet time. But Nevertheless, Reese gets the ball. And I think from a couple of media outlets at Twitter and whatnot, a little conversation happened very quickly between Tiago Silva and Obama Yang, where Obama Yang was told by Tiago, run in, run in, because Reese will find me and I'll give you the ball. Now, 
how that how true that is or how confident Tiago Silva is that he's going to one get the ball from Tiago Silva and two win the header and pinpoint it directly to Obama Yang. I think everything has to go your way and it did. Reese James picks out an inch perfect ball which we know he has that in his locker. Tiago Silva wins the header which we know he has that in the locker. What we have not seen in a long, long time is a number nine that can swivel like that back to goal and finish it ever so beautifully. I don't want to do this, but there's shades of Drogba goals where he was able to spin, push that ball into net without knowing where it is, and he swivels off and celebrates. And and that's that's what you get with someone that knows how to play with their back to goal. Um, but yeah, Thiago Silva, man, that, that guy can... <laughs> is there something he can't do because... I'd like to talk about that because there's a he does it all otherwise. Uh, but yeah, the Aubameyang goal, I think that's a goal in past seasons that we don't score. No. Because we tried to pass it out. We tried to lay it off to someone else. But Aubameyang has the awareness, has the ability, and backs himself, right? He knows that, okay, if Thiago Silva wins this ball, it's most likely going to be a header that falls to me. I'm not going to be able to control it, touch it, finish it in the way I want. So I'm just going to have to improvise. And he does that. And and he must take confidence from that. And I think the rest of the team must take confidence from his, him being able to do that, to say, you know what, we can put it up to Obama Yang and he'll make something happen instead of what we've had in the past. I'm not going to call out <laughs> any names. Um, and I'm I'm excited to see that because it's it's something that we've missed for a very long time. And And yes, it's one goal. And yes, it's a goal that, and maybe a different game goes wide and we don't get it. But in this game, we get it. And it gets us back because I think Crystal Palace were kind of riding the wave of the home crowd and, and having the opening goal and putting us under pressure, which Kepa kept us uh, out of. But then the goal comes for us and that brings us back in, brings belief back in. And and ultimately, you know what happens. You know, I love that you said that when Obama Young scores that goal, it brings the confidence in the team up. And I think it's very important because... For 18 months, Rahul, we played with a false nine. And while Kai Havertz did his best and Pulisic did his best and Mason Mount did their best, they're not out-and-out strikers. And so I'm not saying this is the answer, but maybe that's a contributor as to why we don't want to put the ball into our forwards. We don't want to pass them and say, go ahead and give it a shot because they're not out-and-out strikers. They're not guys that when they get the ball, they're going to know with their back to net where to do it. So if this comes off once, twice, three times, maybe they'll start saying, stop playing games around here and passing back and forth, passing side to side, look for him because he knows where the net is. And Obama Yang could, could help again. I don't want to get ahead, ahead of myself. I'm not expecting too much of him. Number nines have disappointed me so badly in the last few years that if we're able to get to double digits with Obama Yang, I'm going to be singing his praises. 10 goals for me is amazing from a number nine in recent times. So it's definitely a positive sign. I want to see more of it. I want to see them play to his strengths and look for him. Maybe the other guys can do it, not Thiago Silva running up to left wing. <laughs> but if it's, if it's Thiago Silva, I'll take that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we've said a lot about Thiago Silva. <laughs> so uh, let's move on. So we want go in at halftime 1-1. One, one. Um, there's a whole midfield conversation that I need to have with you. But let's let's get to the end and then we can come back because... Uh, a key player in midfield plays a good role in the build-up to this to the second goal for Chelsea. Um, did you at any point feel watching the game live that we had that second goal in us? No, and he made some changes, and we'll talk about the changes in a few minutes here. But 
it's more of that typical Chelsea, right? That we've seen in the last 15, 16, 17 months where we pass a lot. We pass to the sides, we pass back, we control the ball, we have a lot of the possession. But do we look like we're seriously going to finish? I think the answer is no. If you're an honest Chelsea fan and you, you look back, the answer is no. We had 64% of the ball versus Palace's 36. We strung together 635 passes versus their 348. Rahul, it's games like this where we can pass another 600 times and we are probably not going to score. I think sometimes you need to buy a lottery ticket to win the lottery, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because even up until the point the ball hits the back of the net, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I I give Connor credit for pulling that off, right? Because both goals at and I said this to you offline, was both goals were unlike Chelsea. Mm-hmm. We spoke about the Aubameyang goal and how we haven't had someone do that. We haven't really had someone take shots from outside the box. And I think you and I have called for that where we've said, we know the likes of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Pulisic, Sterling now more recently have the ability to shoot. We just don't do it because we, at certain points, just want to walk the ball into the net. Yeah, uh, and I was just happy to see Connor say, "You know what?" Oh, and I know we don't don't swear on this podcast. <laughs> you know what? He was like, "Screw this! I'm going to just hit it." And as luck would have it, unfortunately for the Crystal Palace fans, fortunately for us, he hits it so sweetly that it goes in. But before we we analyze that anymore, I want to talk about the build up. And the build up was Fofana comes out with the ball. Maybe over dribbles it or over runs a little low, dinks it to to Loftus Cheek, who gets shut down by I think two Crystal Palace defenders, and all he does is he flicks it around them to to Connor, and that gets us flowing, that gets us going. We obviously put it out wide. Ulisic tries to do a little too much too. I think he gets a little lucky because he has no other option but to yeah. pass it to Connor, uh, and then like I said, Connor just says, you know what? There's like five defenders in front of me. There's a goalie right there. There's no pass available. And it's the 89th minute. And it's the 89th minute. And I've come back to Crystal Palace. (laughs) It just feels right that I hit this. And 2-1. And again, it lifts the spirits. It lifts the the squad to say everything that we worked on up into the uh, buildup of this game up into this point was right because we got the result that we wanted. And for Connor, Jackie, I have to say this. When he started that Leeds game last month and had a bad time, a lot of fans, and and you can see it on our Instagram when we had that post about signing his contract as an eight-year-old and making his debut at 22, a lot of fans got on his back. Some abuse, some just not good stuff was said. Then he gets sent off against Leicester. That just adds to it. And for him to dust all of that off, come on. And yes, maybe Graham Potter has given him a a new sense of hope, a new sense of, uh, you know, life that you can make it into my starting 11, not just be a squad player. All of that comes together in that one moment and the ball hits the back of the net. And of course, he doesn't celebrate. But let me tell you something inside the eight-year-old boy must be celebrating like there's no end. I think you took my breath away with all these passionate <laughs> words here. You said a lot of good things, and I want to highlight a few things with regards to how some Chelsea fans, a little too many Chelsea fans, turn on our players so quickly with 
not criticism necessarily, but full-on abuse. And I think Conor Gallagher got that for the bulk of the few games that he appeared under Tuchel. And I think as a fan watching, I didn't think he was horrible in any of those games. I think he looked off the pace. I think he didn't fit in the right positions. But if you watch football and you understand, you can see that he was trying his level best. He was giving 120%, maybe 200%. And specifically for the sending off, the excitement got the most of him. And so that's what happens. But you then look at this and say, he has the confidence to make something happen from nothing. And I wanted to take that and transition into Graham Potter because we haven't spoke a lot about Graham Potter. And I think I maybe want to give him a little credit here. And I don't know if it's deserved or not. And here's the reason I'm saying this. It was very clear, and we've heard this through multiple sources, that Thomas Tuchel didn't like Chelsea players to give the ball away. It's been documented many, many times. And so mentally, Rahul, what do you do? Do you take a shot that you might miss 50-50 and then the ball's gone and you've lost possession? Or do you play it and play it and play it and play it till you walk it into that? Because you're never going to lose possession that way. And so maybe all it takes is a coach to put an arm around Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Raheem Sterling, Obama Yang, in this case, Conor Gallagher, and say, guys, there is opportunities. Y'all are fantastic footballers. Just sink one in and let's see what happens. If you lose the ball, I'm not going to be upset. We'll regroup, rebuild, and start from there. And so maybe he's got something to shout for, but the goal itself, technique, skill, passion, whatever you want to call it, I think Conor Gallagher has a big part to play this season. And he's going to feel so great about it and and hopefully carry that on because he's one that was in that England, uh, you know, frame and, I think he fell out a little and I'm sure it will hurt him if he misses the World Cup, which at this point it looks like he will. But again, he's still got a month and he can force his way in and, and make something happen for himself. So I think the beauty of that is or for us is we've got some players that maybe in and around their national teams that can push on and and over the next course of the month and force their way in and hopefully go fulfill a lifelong dream, which is being at the World Cup for your nation. Yeah, let's talk about some of those midfield players. Let's talk about our midfield in general because... Do we, do we have to? I think we need to <laughs> give praise where praise is due okay. and give criticism yep, yep. where criticism is due. So let's talk about some of the changes he made. Obviously, I think the Christian Pulisic one, the Conor Gallagher one, and the Armando Broja one, I think they all seem to make sense on paper. One of the ones that we've talked about, and a lot of Chelsea fans have talked about, he's taken a lot of stick as well, is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. But the person he came on for, who has also taken a lot of stick, is Jorginho. What did you make of Jorginho's performance overall? And what did you make of Ruben Loftus-Cheek? And before you answer, I'll say this. I said early on in this season that this is a make-or-break season for Ruben. I think he's 26 now. And what I've seen of him is there is a player in there. It's just a matter of can he do it consistently at the highest level? Look, I'll say this. If there's one area of this team that is, I don't want to use the word lacking because when you look at Kovacic and Conte and you go, how can you be lacking? But, I'm but it's, tra- it's a fair it's a fair criticism because Kovacic and Conte have their fair share of injury problems already this exactly. season. And Conte is historical. So your most fit midfielder that plays in the pivot is Jorginho. So now you're taking these three names and Jorginho is mostly going to play every game in that pivot role, which is why I isolate him. It's not because he, he, the other guys can do the job, of course, but they're not always there. 
So ultimately, it comes down to who's the best partnership, and Jorginho has been there most of the time. And that's credit to him that he stays fit. He doesn't add to the injury issues that we have because that would leave us even further alike yeah. in that position. But having said that, I just... Maybe it's because it's he doesn't have the right partners around him. Maybe it's because the 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 attacking players in front of him are not making the runs. But I feel like we've made these excuses in the yeah. past. And yes, a lot of the managers have used him. Lampard used him. Sorry, obviously used him. Tuchel used him. But over time, you see that he does have his limitations. Mm-hmm. And and as he gets older, I believe he's now thirty, and I may be wrong. Uh, but right. he's close to that that thirty point mark, and you know the body slows down. And if you're already slow, and and you don't have to look any further, Kukurea is pissed off that he was given a fake slower rating <laughs> or pace rating than Jorginho. Um, and I, I use that as a joke, but that just tells you that the squad knows he's slow, and he doesn't pass it as forward or as many times as for, uh, uh, forward as we'd like. Kovacic is a different profile where he drives forward. He's more of a box-to-box in a sense. Conte is similar. And we're just missing someone that can link defense, midfield, and attack. And we just and I think there's a map out there on, on Twitter, on Reddit, where which shows our midfield always going left, right, left, right. And you get sick of that, and the team's that you're playing against in the Premier League or even in the Champions League, even the Carabao Cup, if it's a lower (laughs) opposition, know that and can easily try to defend that. I know when we talk about the Manchester Derby, you look at Kevin De Bruyne, and yes, there's one Kevin De Bruyne, but there can be someone else that can do that kind of role where they drive forward and they can put in a through ball where we don't have to rely on Reese has to cross it all the way across to Thiago Silva, mm-hmm. who has to head it to Aubameyang. Yes, that worked out for us, but ultimately we need a little more fluidity. We need a little more creativity, a physicality. Ruben Loftus-Cheek brought that to a certain degree, but Ruben has his limitations too, and we can't fully rely on him if we want to be winning leagues and, and Champions Leagues and, and all of that stuff. Yes, Ruben will be a great player to bring in in moments like this, but I don't know. We next summer, maybe in January, we need some kind of overhaul. And maybe it does mean that some of these guys, maybe a Jorginho, and as much as it pains me to say Conte, do move on because ultimately we got to look forward to the future and fix some of these issues. No, and look, they've contributed specifically in Jorginho's case to winning many, many trophies. Jorginho will walk out of here if he does walk out of here with his head held high as a Europa League winner, Champions League winner, Super Cup winner. World Cup winner. He's he's won a bunch of trophies with Chelsea. And so for that, he can be proud. But in the same way, I praised Potter earlier. And maybe I don't know the whole squad story, but Dennis Zachariah was brought in to fulfill that midfield gap of Kante's injured, Jorginho is lacking pace, or he's not dynamic. Maybe that's the right word. Kovacic is injured. Maybe Dennis Zachariah is not ready, but he seems like one on paper that could fill in that role and of course we brought in him to watch him to see if he can become someone we purchase next season and rumors are Rahul it'll be for 25-30 million which is in this day and age a steal if he turns out to be the player we want so it's an area to look out for it's an area to watch again a lot of football to come so maybe Dennis Zachariah Zachariah will get his chance uh, and then we'll go from there but on the flip side Silky Rubin he makes those driving runs he looks good in defensive midfield 
He's tall. He's powerful. Another one that can really add that physicality to the midfield. So I, for one, am really impressed. I think Potter will start to rely on him and use him more and more and get some trust there. So regardless of what happens in the summer, I think right now, right here, Jorginho might see somebody challenging for the starting position in Ruben Loftus-Cheek. The only issue or mark I have against Ruben is consistency. Mm -hmm. And yes, he'll have these moments, but can he consistently do it three, four, five, six, seven games in a row? And I think that's where you know what you get from Jorginho. Yes, it may not be pace. It may not be defense. It may not be attack, but you know he'll help you retain possession. He'll help you recycle the ball and go wide. With Ruben, sometimes you have that tendency to make a mistake mm-hmm. or give away a foul or give away something uh, in midfield, which hurts the team ultimately. Jorginho does that too, but I think it's mm-hmm. less. Uh, and you see that because I feel like a lot of fans criticize him, but then the managers, you look at Lampard played him for a little bit, Sari played him, Tuchel played him, Mancini played him and won the Euros with him. <laughs> and he ended up being, what, the third best player for 2021. Um, it's just... You have to have the right system around him. And in this case, in the pace that the Premier League is at, I just feel that there has to be an end to the story uh, that benefits both sides. And hopefully that's next summer or Jorginho magically recovers some pace and and suddenly becomes the player that we've needed in midfield, which I doubt is going to happen. Four years later, and Rahul is still saying he'll magically become the player <laughs> we need every year. But no, some players, look, it, it is what it is. You have to deal with their limitations, like you've said, but they have pulled in a shift. He's pulled in a shift. So at this point, let's see what Potter wants to do. I guess, end the game 2-1. I was very disappointed for a long time, and then I got calmed down by Connor, and then I realized we're winning a game for the first time in a long time. Is he your man of the match, or does it go to somebody else? I... I would like to give it to Connor, but I mean, he was only on for like 10, 15 minutes. Yes, he has a magical moment, and it feels harsh to be like, actually, you're not man of the match, but (laughs) I'd give it to Thiago Silva. I mean, oh, yeah. Assisting, defending, doing everything that he can to to keep us in the game, and, and, and just forget what he does in defense, what he did in attack, but even what you just mentioned, that little conversation to say, Aubameyang, you stay in the middle, I'll win you this ball, and you you just finish it. That just shows you his mentality and awareness to say, you stay, but also to tell Reese to put it across, <laughs> time his his header just perfect so that it falls to... It's just the man can see things that not a lot of people can, and at 38, you'd be like, let me go ride my career off in, in the MLS, and no disrespect to the MLS, but... I don't know, man. This He said he wants to play till 40, and even at 40, I think he's going to be like, I got two more years in me. <laughs> and, and look, if he wants to play to 40, I hope he stays with us because regardless of if he's starting when he's 40, Rahul, I think what you've highlighted as far as his attitude and his conversations and his leadership skills, I think that's something that Chelsea of old was very quick to let go of. Your John Terry's, your Ivanovic's, your... All of them defenders, but your uh, Rudiger's, unfortunately, in recent history as well. Those are the kind of players that sometimes help settle dressing rooms. And we've seen this before with all of them. And Gary Cahill was one of the names that I forgot to mention in that mix. But hopefully, hopefully he's there for a little bit longer. He can stay. He can extend his contract and groom the likes of Chaloba and um, 
Fofana because they could be, even if they're 50% the player that Thiago Silva is, <laughs> I think we've got something good on our hands here. Who was your man of the match? It's difficult to go away from Thiago Silva, but I will give an honorable mention to Kepa for the reasons we discussed earlier in this segment. I think he's looking like the Kepa of old. Kepa, if you're listening, don't let me eat my <laughs> humble pie. Continue doing what you're doing because you were fantastic in that game. Yeah, and I'd like to give a brief shout out to my boy <laughs> Reese James. There you who, go. Who for some reason always has Zaha's number. And they've not even taken their food off to to social media. I don't know if you've seen it or, <laughs> no, or saw um Zaha put a post up and then deleted in response to what Reese James had posted, nice. which was uh, you know, when he spins him in the game, Reese put a picture up of that and then things out posted something like clouds a dangerous pill or something funny um but reese james i mean 22 i may maybe maybe wrong 23 and he just plays like he's been in this league for years and and he's physical i mean the more i say look at that guy i'm like just give him the armband and let him i will say this when we started this podcast i think it's going on two years now which is incredible so but when we started this podcast we were in the midst of frank lampard coming in it was a new world for us and one thing you had said was i think reese james should be given a chance and i'll raise my hand up here and i was like reese who reese what what position does he play where does he play i feel like i was roman Abramovich to jose Mourinho, where you said just be quiet and let him play the game <laughs> But, you know, ever since he came in and you, I think you may have coined the term Beast James. I know many other Chelsea fans out here will say they came up with it first. But I would say, I don't know if Reese is going to be the guy, but I'm happy to eat humble pie all day long. Because if his attitude stays correct, Rahul, and if he learns to be a little more vocal, maybe on the pitch, you could be looking at a future Chelsea captain here. Yeah, I mean, and I think Thiago Silva is a good mentor for him on the pitch but i think also off the pitch because they have yeah. a good relationship and uh, i think reese looks at him obviously rightly so with a lot of admiration and, and um i'd love to see reese james get that armband hopefully next season uh, <laughs> and mason i think should be fighting for it too because again both academy boys and and both chelsea boys but Reese for me has edged it in the last few few months. Yeah, just gonna wipe the tear of the remembrance <laughs> of John Terry and Frank Lampard as as captain and vice captain there. But there you go. Awesome overall. Happy to get back to winning ways. I know you have some other news coming in and around Chelsea. I didn't think October third we'd be hearing transfer news, but Papa Boli moves swift and he moves quick. What's going on there? He moves. Up until this point, very, <laughs> very publicly. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we hear there is a medical that happened for Christopher Nkuku, uh, a Leipzig player, attacker, forward, winger, can play pretty much in that front three, but also a little bit deeper. And we were linked to him. I think the fee may have driven us away, but clearly not because we have agreed terms with him from what's being reported. And now we've done the medical. Basically what's left is for Leipzig to say, here's the release clause. And I think even to that, we've said, we'll pay you a little bit more because we don't want to have any other one in in this uh, conversation. Interesting. So they've identified him. I've also heard Boley sees him as a personal kind of transfer, which hmm. has been burnt by quite a bit with Roman. <laughs> uh, but I'll give Boley the benefit of the doubt and say, he was sporting director, interim sporting director. He still is, and he has maybe developed an eye for talent. 
Um, but that's one. And then there's another one again from Leipzig, kind of turned Leipzig into a feeder club at this yeah. point. Uh, Garridiol, uh, yeah. I may have may have messed that up, but he's a defender that I think towards the end of the window we had seen rumors come up. Ninety million was what we had put out for him. Uh, looks like we're going in a little bit lower now, but one again that's come back up, and I think um, we're hearing maybe January. But there are clearly talks with Leipzig. Things are happening in the background, which I'm pleased by because not everything is in the public, but it is now. So I'm like, clearly something's going on somewhere, but. Hey, uh, decent players, young players, and and things are are looking like will be changing in our attack. Yeah, and and hopefully you know Boli wanted a, a manager that would collaborate with them more. Hopefully he's collaborating with Graham Potter. You didn't give him a five year contract for no reason. If he's switching from a back three to a back four, do you need another center back given the players that we already have? Are you going to offload some players? Is Thiago Silva not going to get another contract? A lot of questions to be answered, and so it'll come in time. But uh, in Kunku, another one that you talked about, I've heard a lot about. I've not had the pleasure of watching him play directly, but his stats look absolutely incredible. I think last season in 52 appearances, he scored 35 goals, which we signed somebody from an RB club before, which was Timo Werner with amazing stats, and that did not work out. But this season so far, I hold 12 appearances and eight goals. So at some point, I think Chelsea are trying to be that expansive attractive attacking football and so let's see how this shakes out yeah absolutely and again look we're we're linked to the the young talent we're linked to the bigger names that could turn on turn out to be uh world-class players and uh again i'm gonna bring man city up but we've seen what happens when you lose that kind of talent so might as well bring them in and, and see what happens Fair um, enough. <laughs> just before we move on to to some of the other results uh, the Women's Champions League draw was done earlier today and quite a scary uh, draw in place for the Chelsea women. So PSG, Real Madrid, and Valencia, Valencia from Albania. I may have butchered that up. Uh, but, Jackie, it's a, probably a group of death because you look at PSG, household name, especially on uh, in the women's game, Real Madrid, I believe knocked uh, Man City out in the in the playoff or, or qualification round, and Chelsea themselves are, are are a big name. So there's going to be one of those three going out. No disrespect, disrespect to the other team, but it seems like uh, one of those th- uh, two of those three will be fighting for the qualification. I, I can easily tell you that I know which ones concern you because you could pronounce their names with no problem, and the one that does not concern you is like I think they're from yeah. No, I mean it. Look, Rahul, I've always said this and maintained this for a club of Chelsea stature and even the women's side where I've said they have won everything in such succession and in such wonderful format. The Champions League is the only thing that eludes them. At some point, you have to knock out the big players. So why not knock them out early so it becomes easier at the end of the day? Ultimately, look, if we've got an easy group, I'd be smiling and laughing and say, yep, we need to go through. But let's get the business done early move forward. There are no easy games in the Champions League anyway. Even the team we cannot pronounce, I'm sure we'll have a tough time when we go visit them. So let's just do the business and I wish them the best and hopefully a successful year this year because they've been close on multiple occasions. They, they certainly have and they actually went out in the group stages last season. So uh, a tough group for sure, but again, with the way the fixtures fall in place, there is an opportunity for Chelsea mm-hmm. to get some points on the board 
even before we get into maybe the second half of the fixtures. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for them. The game, first game is Thursday, October 20th against PSG away. Uh, so that should be a good one, but we'll definitely be be building up to that and, and keeping an eye on, on it. Uh, Jackie, before we move on to our AC Milan uh, preview, let's talk about some of the games that we built, looked at last uh, episode, which was the Not London Derby and Arsenal versus Spurs. It ended 3-1 to Arsenal. Spurs were called negative. They were called a lot of things, which was expected of a Conte team. They ultimately fell uh, against their neighbors and lose again at the Emirates. They haven't won there, I believe, now for 30 Premier League games, if I'm not wrong. Is this just a, a blip for Spurs and, and Arsenal? I mean, they're going to take a lot of confidence out of this and sit top of the table. I'm disappointed, and and I hate to say that word because I really don't care if Tottenham get battered. They should be losing games. But I did predict that Antonio Conte is a man that shakes things up when time is necessary, and he's going to get the result no matter what. So I'm disappointed because I didn't think Spurs would lose in the fashion that they lost. I didn't think... Arsenal were as good as they are, but they're starting. I'm not going to say that they're going to to have a run into the end of the season, but they're starting to show that they're here to stay. And so everybody should take them seriously. This was a big result for them. I really do believe that they were able to control Spurs and show them that we do have something to say about the title this season. So watch out. And for Spurs, again, I use the word disappointing because Antonio Conte has been backed heavily I think maybe more than any other Spurs coach in a very long time he's been given the players that he wants he's been given the freedom to let go of certain players that he wanted and ultimately when the first big test comes he he fails and so I don't know if at that point they're going to kind of slip in and out of the top four and we'll see how that plays out but we know when Antonio Conte doesn't get the results he wants he throws his toys out of the pram and he's out the door so we may be looking at the beginning of the end for Antonio Conte yeah, I mean, and for Arsenal, Jackie, I think the game comes at the right time. They're in good form. It comes at home, which I believe is is a good uh, indicator for them, especially, like I said, against Spurs at home. And then next week they have Liverpool at home mm-hmm. again, Liverpool having their own issues. So it just seems like things are coming together for Arsenal. And yes, they've had a rough time under Arteta. Uh, so it just seems like it, it was time for it to come together and, hey, we know they're sitting a point ahead of City, which is good right now, but that's never enough against the City side, who we'll talk about right now. Uh, Manchester Derby ends 6-3 to City against United, but it was 4-0 at halftime, and and you could say City took the, the foot off the gas in the second half. Ultimately, United ended up getting three goals, but City still had enough in the tank that if they wanted, they could have easily seen this to seven, eight, maybe even nine. Yeah, I think usually the easiest thing to say here, and I hate saying it, is men versus boys. Manchester City looked like they were the grown-up, finished version of a football club, and Manchester United, with all due respect to them, didn't didn't look like they had gone for training this last few weeks, which is very disappointing to see. I think Erling Haaland is somebody that is very painful that Chelsea missed out on getting him because he seems to be the next cream of the crop. We've talked about Cristiano Ronaldo and, you know, Messi for many, many years. I have a feeling we'll be talking about this boy for many years to come. I mean, we've already, it was it eight games, seven games. <laughs> yeah. We've spoken about him every week. And this was his third home game in a row that he scored a hat trick, Jackie. We we were talking about if Aubameyang gets 10 goals by the end of the <laughs> season, we'll be happy. Holland's 
estimated to get to 66 gold at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> awesome. Do you know, you know what? And, and I'm going to be very honest, and I hate to bash on the other leagues, but Ronaldo and Messi did it in Spain and in Italy and in, in Paris. And while some of the powerhouses of those leagues come from there, your Bayern Munichs, your uh, Juventuses, your Real Madrid, your Barcelonas, I think the rest of the league overall has not been as competitive. You look at the Premier League and you've got in the last several years – Leicester, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal in older history competing week in, week out. And towards the end of the season, you're looking at six teams that are always fighting for the league and dark horses, your West Ham's, your Brighton's, your Newcastle's, teams that are not easy to beat. And so if you're telling me he's going to get <laughs> 66 goals with the Premier League as his his playground, I don't know what to say, Rahul. That is absolutely ridiculous. It is. And I think when Ronaldo got to... 40 in all competitions, wasn't just the Premier League. Uh, I think we were like, whoa, that's that's incredible. I mean, Holland in his first season, we're always like, give players time to settle. All of that has gone out the window, and he's... You know what it is? It's, And I don't want to get too much into it, but you kind of have to just because of what's going on. Yes, they have a fantastic team. Yes, they have Kevin De Bruyne and Grealish and Mares and Bernardo Silva. It's his hunger that's just... Yep. You got to give him credit for that. I mean, I I watched the second half, and Martinez was following him around, and Holland knew that, and he would bring him to the halfway line, get him to foul him, not stay down. I mean, how many strikers do you know that get fouled yeah, oh, would yeah. roll around and ask for a card? He would get fouled, maybe even enough to get injured, get right back up and run in with that space that Martinez had left because he wants to get the goal. He doesn't care about anything else. And I'm just like, wow, I if any one of our strikers can do even like <laughs> one third of that, I'll be that's I'll the be ten satisfied. goals I'm asking for right there. <laughs> the ten goals, that's all I'm asking for. And while we were talking, Raul, I looked up the record for the most Premier League goals in a season. And back in ninety three, ninety four, Andy Cole scored thirty four goals. 94-95, Alan Shearer did thirty four goals. And in recent history, that was seventeen eighteen. Mo Salah did 32 goals. So if you're telling me that he can reach 66 goals in the Premier League, hell, even if he reaches 50 goals in the Premier League, he's blown everybody out of the water. So uh, it's early days. I you know, don't want to say he's going to get an injury or he's going to fall out of form, although that would be wonderful for Chelsea fans and for the rest of the Premier League to catch up. But what an incredible player we're seeing so far. Absolutely. And uh, it just a final piece in that it blows my mind that Dortmund didn't take the higher offer from Chelsea the season before and eventually sold him for 40, 50 million less. And Holland had like, I think he ended up going for 50 million pounds is bargain. It's it's up. I mean, Manchester city are going to just reap the rewards for years to come. So uh, good for them. Disappointing for Chelsea, but look, we, we march on and we move on. We do. I have a question about number nines and this brings it back to Chelsea uh, and we'll open it up to to our followers and our listeners, but I'd like to hear your thought real quick. Uh, so from the three number nines I'm about to list, who do you think had the better Chelsea career? I think it's easier to go with who was the, the biggest flop, but I'd like to be a little more positive. So Alvaro Morata, Gonzalo Higuain, who's just announced his retirement, and Romelu Lukaku, who do you think had the better Chelsea career? You need to throw in Hasselbank in there because this is an unfair question to talk about number <laughs> nines and 
recent history. And I'll take Tammy Abraham as well if you want to throw him in there as a number nine. But uh, based on the three, I think maybe on goal-scoring form and at least his early part of the season, I think maybe Morata had a good time. But if you look at overall, I think for zero value, we didn't have to pay for much. Higuain won a trophy or two with us. Lukaku could have been something, but he's he's burnt so many bridges that he's not, never going to be considered close to being successful at Chelsea. So um, I think Morata played a bigger part in, in the Chelsea games and scored more goals. So I'm going to go with Morata. That's, I never thought you'd pick Morata, but I guess from, from those three, it seems like a fair... <laughs> Fair there are many things I could like in this too, but it's, it's you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, and so you've got to choose the best of the worst. That is that is fair. But let's come to our game, Champions League game, Jackie. And for me, it's a must win. Uh, we haven't won yet. We sit bottom of our group, and we play AC Milan in, in the Champions League, and I believe it's the first time since 1999. Uh, and you and I watched AC Milan win leagues, win Champions Leagues, and have... I mean, teams and players that we could only wish for at, at certain points. And we eventually got Shevchenko, who I believe was um, not as successful, but he was one that came over. And, and we I think we were ec- ec- ecstatic about that. But um, coming to this game, we have a couple of names coming back home. We have Fakaya Tomori, Academy product. One that baffles me as to how we got him into the squad got him into the starting 11 and then slowly had him slip away to a point where he eventually just left us and we started spending big money on other center backs. <laughs> uh, and then Olivier Giroud, another player that I'm surprised you didn't ask for him in the number nine question that I had. Um, but he underrated for sure. One that I think when we got, we were not sure about why we were going for him and not maybe someone uh, maybe with a higher profile. But he came in, did a job, never complained, professional as always, moved on to AC Milan. And I think we would still take him if we could. Who do you think has a bigger point to prove coming back? And and how do you see us lining up? I think the only reason I didn't ask for Olivier Giroud is because he wore number 18. But he was incredibly successful (laughs) and and a player that I, I absolutely loved at Chelsea. I think... The joke goes that Chelsea players go to Arsenal to retire, but Chelsea strikers, I mean, Arsenal strikers come to Chelsea to win things. So Obama Yang, you've got a, a big shirt to follow. But honestly, I think that, you know, Fakaya Tomori has a lot more to prove just because of the circumstances around. We weren't playing so well. We were conceding goals. And for the life of me, you and I could not figure out why Tomori was not being given a chance. I think till today, it's never really been addressed. Frank Lampard never really addressed it. At that point, I think he was gone. And then Thomas Tuchel made a couple of comments here saying he was let go and that was the previous regime or whatnot. So I don't know the whole story behind it. Ultimately, I think he's now a regular for England. He's playing week in, week out for AC Milan. He won the league with them. He brought them back to the Champions League. So ultimately, we let a good one go there. We felt that pain before. So hopefully he doesn't come back to haunt us. But let's talk a little bit about the starting 11, maybe. Um, you want to go with the Chelsea side first? Because I know AC Milan are struggling with some injuries here. Yeah, they have about nine first-team players out. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But one name for them real quick is Rafael Leal. Mm. We were linked with, I think he had 130-something million pound release cost that at one wow. point we were ready to pay. Uh, but he's he's risen up and his stock is going up as a, as a tricky, fast, pacey winger. Uh, so one to keep an eye on for 
in this game, especially if we could link to him next summer. Uh, but coming to us, I think Kappa continues in goal. Um, Mendy has to work his way back in at this point for me, and, and Kepa has earned it. Uh, I would go with the back four just based on the fact that we did that against Crystal Palace, and it seemed like we got more out of our attack. Uh, so Reese James, I'm unsure if it's Fofana Koulibaly, uh, so I'd like to get your thought on that. But I think Thiago plays and Kukurea comes back in. Uh, midfield, I'd go with Kovacic, Jorginho, after, even though after everything I've said. Uh, and then if it is a three, then I think Mason plays there with Kai, Sterling, and Aubameyang up top. Yeah, so very similar formation. I think bringing Kukurea into the back four, because I think there's a trust there and maybe Ben. And she will work a little bit harder to win trust back for that left back or left wing back position. It's tough at the center back, Rahul Kuku, Kuku, sorry, Kulibali and Fofana, both new new center backs trying to find the right pairing. He he might flip. He might go with Kulibali. He's got the experience in Champions League. It's going to be a new world for Fofana. So maybe he goes with Kulibali and we'll see how he plays it out after then. Yeah, I mean, the return leg for this game is next week. So maybe Kulabali comes in for that, especially since it'll be in Italy. Uh, but yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how he goes for this. Because for me, like I said, it's a must win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to that point, what is your prediction? Oof, I, maybe a nail-nail, Rahul? Dude, I just said it's a must win. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just a must win doesn't mean... I, I All right, go ahead. Must win, right? Sit first in the group with four points. Yep. Zagreb sitting second with three, Salzburg with two and third, and Chelsea with one at four. So if we do win this game, we automatically close up on the first team in this group, which is Milan. And then we just hope the other two draw and we're right up in that in that mix and a couple more <laughs> right results next week and then the couple of weeks after and, and we're looking at qualification. All right. Do you know what? Let's go three one to Chelsea then. I'm glad I, I could change that. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1. It's going to be nervy. It's going to be interesting to see how Potter handles a uh, Champions League game again at home. But with all the injuries in AC Milan and and with, with the last-minute goal from Conor Gallagher, I think we'll be up for it. And, and let's, let's get this win because we need it. We need the win for sure. Uh, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us at the Premier Chelsea on all major podcast providers, YouTube and Instagram, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Chelsea. Uh, leave us a review if you can. Let's connect with other fans based on your reviews, and uh, let's grow the Premier Chelsea as, as one big community. Uh, but we will be back with an AC Milan review and a Wolves preview, who Jackie have fired the manager and I'd like to get your thoughts on this because we predicted this last year. Uh, But we will be back to get Jackie's thoughts on that. But until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea. Hey, guys. The Premier Chelsea is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top-quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.